This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Good morning, good morning, and uh, I'm sitting here looking at things and, and uh, realize, oh, I'm, I'm on TV. So anyway, uh, thank you for joining us here today. We're, we've got a great show going on. We're going to be talking um, from to the editor and chief, the boss over at uh, Crisis Response Journal magazine that I'm very excited about. And matter of fact, it's a resource I use all the time, but I want to bring Dan in and the show as well. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. I'm sitting here looking at some some text and stuff and uh, looking down and all of a sudden I look up and I'm I'm live. <laughs> so hey sure. Dan, I, I I have to start on a side note. Um, the other day uh, I don't know if you guys heard it or not, but there was a um a guy starts a fire at his house, calls nine one one, um and ambushes the first responders, and in in that ambush he ends up shooting uh, an American Medical Response an AMR uh emt and the young guy is 20 years old um and he gets shot and it ends up being that he passed away yesterday due to the uh wounds uh, from that uh criminal that ambushed those first responders his name's jacob uh didn't i'm gonna kill his name uh dindil Dil, oh my gosh din dinger Sorry about that, Jacob. I apologize, but our 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 thoughts are with you today and your family. And you know, we really have to think about um, what we're doing with our first responders and the safety for them um, as they're responding to to these calls because this is not the first time this has happened across the United States, across the world, realistically. And uh, our, our hearts and minds are are with Jacob today and his family specifically. So, that note really cheers things up. Um, I want to introduce our guest and uh, our guest. She is coming to us all the way from London. And I don't know about London, but England, at least. Emily, where are you at right now? Hello. First of all, well, I'm in a place and don't laugh about the name, but I'm actually based in a place called Dorking, which um, is just outside of London. And I'm so sorry to hear about that, uh, that ambush and so forth, because, and that, you know, our thoughts with, with them as well, because attacks, we, we get that sort of problem over here as well with deliberate ambushes and attacks on first responders. And it's just completely unacceptable. And it's so tragic and sad. So I'm really sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's a sad day for sure, especially for such a young man, you know, 20 years old. He's already putting his life on, on service, you know, going out there to do the right thing. And, and his life is cut so short. So it's just a sad day in general across the world, I think, for this guy. Uh, well, we're not here to talk about that, and, and we are here to talk about what you guys do. What really kind of goes into it is crisis management and in the crisis response journal. And uh, I'm going to tell you something. I, first of all, I love the journal. I think it's it's awesome. Um, a friend of mine, Eric McNulty, he turned me on to it. He says, hey, I'm going to be writing for the journal, doing some stuff on the advisory board. He goes, you should really check it out. I took a look at it. And I had to convert the uh, pounds into dollars to figure out how much I was going to spend on this thing because it's a, it's a UK-based uh, publication. And um, so it ends up being a very, very, very well worth the investment into purchasing this journal. And so um, I, I, I don't get anything for free from this, just so everybody know. So I, I do pay my dues because I think it's well worth supporting that 
and we need to support uh, those or, those magazines and, and, journal, and journals and publications that are supporting us as emergency managers. So I do thank you for the work that you guys have been doing. And uh, let's talk about the journal a little bit. How did it start? Right. Well, it's very interesting because at first you said, um, although we're based in the UK, we don't write about just UK subjects and so forth. I launched Crisis Response Journal about 17 years ago. My um, background was working on magazines in the fire and rescue services. And the large company that we had ran everything from um, fish to um, oils and fats to all, all sorts. And we were just a little niche within that. And there was a UK publication and an international one. And it was the international one that really I found very exciting because it was more cherry, you know, seeing what was going on elsewhere in the world. But equally, much as I loved working with fire and rescue services and traveling around the world and seeing their issues and learning what they were about, it was just one, one channel. And I could see how they interacted with, you know, even, even fire and rescue services in the same country or region didn't necessarily talk or liaise with one another. I and mean, when we are talking a long time ago, then you replicate that with other services, then you replicate that with other countries. And it seemed like a whole, uh -oh. a whole load of people not well, talking to each other. So that's what we aimed to try to do. And we, um, hey, we launched, can you hear me? Well, I can hear you, can you hear Emily. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, keep going, Emily. Okay, thank you. There's always a, can you hear me? Can you see me moment, isn't there? <laughs> you put me right off. So the aim was when I launched Crisis Response Journal was to be a multidisciplinary publication that stood back and joined up the dots. So that it looked, you know, um, bring in all the disciplines that might be called upon to um, plan or act, respond in the, within the whole resilience cycle. And we're about sharing information. And that, that, that in a nutshell is what we're doing. It's grown over seven. I'm off. She's on. Can you hear me? No, but they can't hear, hear us. Todd, Todd. Dan, can you hear me? I can hear you, yes, and we're still oh, I live. I hear you, Dan. We lost, we lost Emily. Okay, uh, sorry, guys. I'm, I'm not able to hear anything. Hey everybody, uh, I think we're back, and uh, it's okay. We got uh, technical difficulties here. It's, it's it's great to see the back back kind of stuff. Dan, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, perfect. I can hear you now. That's awesome. Can we bring Emily? Emily, are we back? I never went away. <laughs> Live TV. It's awesome stuff. Um, so yes. Sorry. So was I was I boring everyone? Did I cut out, get cut off straight no, away? It was very interesting. Very interesting. It has nothing to do with you at all. <laughs> no. So, um, well, basically, in a nutshell, I was talking about how um, how CRJ was launched and how it's evolved over the years into bringing more and more disciplines, more and more knowledge and experience. And we're a tiny, tiny team, um, but we have this massive network all over the world. And we try to put people in touch with each other, share knowledge and experience, because at the end of the day, I think anything and we, i saw your um your broadcast todd it's it's all about humans and for me it's all about human beings and trust 
And that's what we're trying to do and put people in touch with each other and share their knowledge and experience. That's great. You know, and you talk about, and I, I know you were mentioning the fact that it's not just a UK-based magazine. It's not at all. I'm Eric McNulty. He's out of um, out of Harvard. Um, matter of fact, a, a friend of mine, Randy Collins, Dr. Collins, uh, he uh, he wrote a piece on leadership um, out of out of USC, and he's actually the emergency manager for El Segundo. Um, you know, if you read the bylines on everybody who's up there that, that's written and in the magazine, and I have a copy of it right here, uh, they're from all over the place. And that's what I love about it because um, it keeps you from being inside of a vacuum of what we do here, say, in California compared to what somebody does over in uh, Japan or India. You know, and I, and I think it really gives you different perspective and different different crises that, that uh, we have to deal with worldwide. Um, you know, that being said, how... I, I, a little early on this question, but I'm now kind of interested. How do you get published? Like if somebody was interested in writing for you, uh, how, what's the process like? It's very simple. As I said, we're a very small team and we're very accessible. You just reach out to me or my assistant, Claire, and get in touch with us through LinkedIn or our website. We always respond and it's just a simple matter of then we have a little chat. And I don't like to um, be too prescriptive in what people write. I don't like to stifle the voices of the people who write for us. So we try to do minimal changes of style and tone and so forth. Obviously, we do have standards that have to be met. Um, but it's really as simple as just getting in touch with us and having a chat. Well, that is that is the easiest publication process ever, I guess. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we do, we, do, we do have quality control and so forth. But most people, you know, it's uh, – and that's how some of the most interesting articles have come about. You know, at the moment, I'm really excited about design which is something that you don't traditionally consider to be part of crisis or emergency management. But if you look around you, everything in your hands, everything you're looking at has been designed. And students in design now being taught how to make the world a better, a better safer, and more sustainable place. So that's bringing that element in. And these come from random sparks of conversation when you're um, traveling somewhere, not that we've traveled anywhere recently. <laughs> But, you know, it's um, it's just these little sparks of genius that occur. And I sort of scoop them all up and say, right, you're working with us. No, absolutely. That's, you know, in talk about design. And I, I've gone through this, um, this I call it the, the wormholes or the rabbit holes, if you will, when I start thinking about things. And Dan and I both were in the executive academy and we had uh, one of the uh, the greatest thinkers when it comes into uh, thought, thought leadership. And his name is Derek Cabrera out of the Cornell University and he goes into systems thinking and that got me down into design thinking and how to apply design thinking to emergency management. I've wrote a couple articles about that. Um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And even down to like, like Apple box, the box that you get your, let's say Apple, whatever phone company you guess, but I, I purchased Apple. Um, you know, when you get that box, that, that box had to be designed specifically uh, for a unique customer experience, user experience. And so we should really think about that, of how we design, um, how we interact with our customers or emergency, you know, our, our, our not customers necessarily, but our um, clients, the, the public, the, what we're doing. And I think if we approach it that way, it makes things much easier um, on everybody, right? I can't agree more. And I think also that because we're seeing emergencies and crises becoming more acute and becoming more overwhelming, we have to admit that everybody is involved and responsible for resilience and their societal safety. 
and they've, you've got to find um, you've got to find a way of involving people and not doing things to people, but asking them. And it might not necessarily fit into all the neat bureaucratic boxes. I had a very interesting chat with someone the other day about this. Who um, there's a lot of work going on in the UK about our national preparedness and so forth. And um, there's there's this tendency to want to involve the public amongst emergency services and frontline responders, but also keep them at arm's length. So they <laughs> want to involve them, but in the way that they want them to be involved rather than the way people want to help. Now, I know it's difficult, but sometimes we need to change our thinking slightly and harness people so they're not just part of a tick box exercise and being involved, if that makes any sense. No, absolutely. Yeah, it, it absolutely makes sense. And I think that's one of the areas. And that actually leads me to uh, the question I'd like to ask you. But uh, we see that a lot um, with keeping people, uh, well, a kind of a mixed message, I should say. Um, but with your with your uh, your publication, you say you, you bring people from uh, from different organizations. And I personally work with people from from the UK, from Australia, from India, and they all have a different aspect on how how they view emergency management, how they may incorporate emergency management or potentially how the uh, the profession itself is viewed in the country. So how do you bring all that together in your publication? It's a matter of um, case by case almost. It's it's about being there to listen to everybody, to find out what their, what their concerns are. And this is amongst authors. We go to a lot of, um, we both, Claire and myself, both go to a lot of conferences. Our advisory panel will feed back to us and so forth. And in, in some ways, it's it's very much, I mean, I've been doing this a long time now. So I think just by osmosis, I get to, you know, I'm sort of taking on what's good and what what's, what's new, what's been tried elsewhere and hasn't worked. And that's a big thing as well. You know, you don't want to be reinventing the wheel all the time. So it's about cherry picking best practice from around the world. And when someone comes to us with a new idea, we've got a very interesting author at the moment because there's a lot of countries, particularly um, those that aren't traditionally regarded as having excellent emergency management practices in the past, who've really pulled their socks up. And we have um, a very interesting author from uh, Bangladesh who's looking at some of the, um, the refugee issues linked to environmental degradation and what they're doing in to, to address this. Now, that's a fascinating subject. It's not something that a lot of other countries have had to consider or deal with, but they could well do in the future. So it's picking up, it's sort of leapfrogging a little bit and looking at potential problems of the future that are already being addressed elsewhere now and also avoiding unintended consequences because there's always a lot of those too. Yeah, with the lack of standardization, and that's one of the, that's one of the, the goals of our industry, right, of, of, of the practitioner of, is to bring more standardization to the profession um, but I want to touch on a comment that I fully agree with is uh, by Michael Curran that says your clients, your colleagues and your, your audience are your customers because right. we are there for service. That's our goal is to, is to provide service. We are, we are public servants. And um, I 100% agree with that. And I want to just touch on that. That's really interesting. We had a very interesting piece by um, uh, an author who's also on our advisory panel called David Wales, um, ex-FAR service, but has really got into um, the whole customer experience development side. And he's, he's very passionate about this. And he, he makes a really good case for his, his example is um, a house fire and somebody becomes injured. 
And now I don't know what it's like. I, I do know what it's like in some countries, but you can't know in every country. But in the UK, for example, the whole journey that person takes, they're the only person who's in charge of that journey. They see loads of disparate. They see surgeons. They might see doctors. They, they see the fire service who extricate them from the vehicle or the house. They don't, um, they don't, um, there's no what there's no cohesion to the whole process and that's not that's not regarding people as and i'm not sure about the word customers necessarily but as the most important person at the center of this process and i won't use the word victim either but right. um and you know there needs to be you need to view the whole stand back and view the whole process and see how it can flow more seamlessly with interactions between the different disciplines providing the service yeah, one of the words I'm using instead of customers is, is I've been using stakeholders because that's a very broad term and mm -hmm. stakeholder can be very many different things. Um, customer sounds very transactional. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Stakeholders are a great term, Todd. Right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back. I want to I want to address some of the uh, comments that we have here and uh, I think we'll get a little to some of the stories that you guys have in this current journal. The Outer Limit Supply Company was founded on the idea of providing high-quality first aid kits. Their goal is to supply the life-saving equipment you'll need to mitigate the majority of injuries often seen during austere times. From minor injury on an outdoor adventure with your family to your team responding to a major traumatic event, Outer Limit Supply has the kits to manage most situations, providing practical, user-friendly first aid kits that anyone can use. Enter Ian Weekly, all capitals, at checkout and save 20% off your total purchase. Go to www.outerlimitsupply.com today. That's outerlimitsupply.com. Power outages can happen at any time. Is your community prepared? The Power Up Solar Power Charging Trailer can be used to address the need for temporary power for your community. In addition, the PowerUp Solar Power Charging Trailer can provide a platform to support your public information and community resiliency outreach efforts throughout the year to educate and inform people about the need to always be ready. For more information, visit PowerUpConnect.com. That is PowerUpConnect.com. All right, welcome back from that quick break. And thank you so much. And please listen, you know, Reach out to our sponsors. Let them know you heard them here uh, because realistically, without them, we couldn't bring what we bring you today. Um, before we went on break, I, I wanted to address some of the um, the questions or some of the comments here. Um, Eileen says, um, I always tell people that you can reach out to all departments within the university for help. Marketing students can help develop brochures. Languages students can help translate various items. Computer systems students can develop upgrade processes, engineering, so forth and so on. Um, I, I think that's a, a brilliant idea. Use the resources that you have. And you can find us in your community, too. I think that most uh, community members uh, want to participate in, and help the city out. And then it's kind of piggies back on what what Lori says here she says i agree with the public that should be allowed to participate more and as a private citizen it's hard to get information on my local emergency management preparedness yeah that's true sometimes um it seems like they keep the information hidden from the public for security reasons i i think there's a double-edged sword there you're right sometimes we do keep uh information secret but then we also do all these outreach programs and and for whatever reason Obviously, you know, doing preparedness fairs and stuff because it doesn't reach the, the total population. So there has to be some give and take on, on that. And then um, um, 
I, I'm going to get over here to Jane's question here in a second, but I want to go down to uh, what Mark says. Uh, the first responder is individuals. I've heard of, as I put it, and a culture of preparedness. Absolutely. The cult, we need to have a culture preparedness. And, and as Emily kind of alluded to it, you know, in the UK, we have, they have the same problem we do here in the United States. And then Tony from the UK says, hi, Emily, I don't feel um, organizations like the Red Cross in the UK are a resource like they are in the USA. And that's a good question. Maybe we can start off uh, with that. And um, Emily and Dan, welcome back to the show. Wow. That's a big one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the, the third sector and the NGO community and so forth, and the Red Cross, the British Red Cross, is actually, um, we've worked quite closely with them over the years and everything that they do. And they've done a lot of work um, to, to reach out to people and so on. And you can rely on them in an emergency. It's somehow, it's sometimes difficult to get, um, I don't know if it's always a matter of resources. It's a matter of that, that you know, it's the... Um, it's the holy grail, isn't it, of trying to get um, people involved. And I, I noted the comment about, you know, your comment about outreach programs. Are they being done in a way that these organizations think should be done to people? Mm. Or are they actually speaking to people? And again, I know I keep on quoting our authors ad infinitum, but that's sort of where, <laughs> again, my osmosis intended knowledge comes from. It's, um, Marcus T. Coleman's written about that. He's from the US and he's written a lot about equity and community and various organizations you can get involved. And it's not always a matter of money. It's a matter about reaching people in the right way that they respond and they become engaged. And I did notice the, um, the point about a lot, of, um, a lot of areas are hidden for security reasons and so forth. And I think that's symptomatic. You know, it's some you know there's this certain protection of this is what we do. We don't want you to help, but we want you to help so, the way that we want um, you to help. Absolutely. You know, one of, the, one of the issues too that we've seen is um, about, about emergency management and our preparedness stuff and, and some of the plans that we put in there. Um, we, we, we are scared sometimes to share stuff and I don't understand why. Um, but I mean, there, there are things that we have to keep secret. Like we don't want everybody to know where the evacuation points are necessarily uh, for the city staff. We don't want everybody to know where the, where the places where they could go for, go forward and put like uh, bombs, if you will, uh, to, to go um, and make more havoc during a terrorist attack. Uh, but there is information that's simple stuff like the preparedness stuff should be able to be shared uh, without too much of problems. You know, um, Jane asked the question about homelessness and emergency management, and and what does it mean? And you, Jane, we've seen some um, agencies using emergency management uh, for homelessness and actually declaring a disaster uh, on homelessness as a public health crisis. And you know, we had this conversation before regarding is, is it mission creep or not? Um, but it, you know, it goes back to the human side of, of things. And and uh, Dan, what do you think about that? Should should EM be involved in the homeless issue? I believe that uh, the EM uh, in general, the profession itself, can help with coordination, support, and planning uh, in that w w as it relates to emergency management uh, and the homeless so, population. Yeah, I mean, and so there's there's those issues specifically uh, regarding um, what we can use emergency management for, and then going back to working with the NGOs like the Red Cross. You know, um, there are parts of the world where the NGO um, runs emergency management uh, for for the nation. Right. Because the nations do not have the money. And so you have the United Nations coming in um, with some of the programs and actually doing uh, emergency management specifically uh, or crisis management, if you will, uh, specifically for those nations. That's why it's really important for us as emergency managers 
across the world to read publications like the Crisis Response Journal so we can get those different flavors from everybody. Emily, you back? I, like I say, I keep on disappearing. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to go back to to the magazine here for a second. You, you know, there's there's two articles in here that in this month's um app or I guess this month, right? It's their their volumes, um magazine, and and one is um regarding the idea of crisis management. Is it really? Is, is really people management. And I got deeper into that, um, that article on, on the uh, business continuity today podcast. And yeah, that right there is something that we have to really consider, right? Because like, you know, if, if assets are burning, like if it's a house is burning down, right. Um, and there's life safety is gone. Where are we going to put, where are we going to really um, manage that fire is keeping it located to one, one building. But at the end of the day, we still have to deal and, and help and go through the process, the healing process with those that lost um, in, in that fire. And Tony um, did a paper, a great paper uh, on the apartment complex fire that occurred um, over in England. Uh, Tony, I forget the name of the, the apartment. I think it's like the greens. All right. Uh, if you can put it in the comments, uh, it was a great paper uh, based upon that and, and what the aftermath of this was and what the planning process was. So at the end of the day, though, it still was a people management uh, thing, right? And so we're not managing the building after the fire. We're managing the people and the, and the disruption that came into their life. And then on the other article, I think that's really important here when it comes into businesses and to organizations is how do we uh, work with the C-suite, right? And and does the C the, the, the CEOs or the uh, public the the highest administrator in the city, if you will, like the city manager or mayor, right? When a crisis comes, um, are they an asset or are they a hindrance into that response, right? And in some cases, um, they could actually become they can be actually become more of a hindrance. And we'll talk about that more. We're going to take another quick break here. And when we come back, um, I want to get deeper into this with our guest with Emily. Then, what do you think when we talk about the the C-suite, right? Um, is it can they become a hindrance or can they be a help? That's a great article from Eric McDulty, by the way, inside this month's journal. Who are we talking? Sorry, I was lost. I was kicked <laughs> out. I've been let back in. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that last bit. No, absolutely, and I do appreciate you guys sticking with us. Everybody sticking with us uh, through some yes. of the difficulties that are going on. Uh, you got to love technology. Now, I was talking about Eric McNulty's article um, in here on on the C-suite, and I was actually talking um, regarding uh, Thomas's article in here uh, regarding uh, people. We're really they're in a crisis for managing people, not assets. Um, but I think they kind of go together. I think they're a very good marriage um, in, the, in the conversation because the C-suite can come in, the, the CEOs, the, the city managers, and stuff can come in and, and really kind of put a flump on things if they're not good leaders. Um, what do you think? Do you think that those crisis leadership, um, is it more about leading people or is it all about leading assets? Well, for me, it would be about leading people straight away because people are assets, aren't they? You know, they're, they're the most important. Well, I would consider them to be the most important part of any organization. And um, I just think that um, both Eric and Thomas, they both um, 
they they really honed in some but sometimes the the ceo of a company who's best positioned to lead a company isn't the best person to lead a crisis and i think that's what eric was getting at you know to have that overview and if there's a lack of trust and you know people come in and try to micromanage situations and i'm I'm sure there's been there's so many examples of this during the COVID crisis at governmental level around the world as well, where the people who know what they're doing have drawn up plans and have exercised and trained together for this. Um, all that is thrown out of the window because there is a leader who thinks they know better. That's when disaster can really occur. And when lives are at stake, that's absolutely unforgivable. I'm not saying there isn't room for creativity and leadership and for, as Patrick Lagadec often says, prepare to be surprised and to um, to think on your feet, you must be ready to pivot if if you if you need to. So you've got to have that all that three hundred and sixty degree awareness. But um, just just parachuting in and think you can deal with it. It's like a take a corporate takeover or something you've traditionally been used to. There's there's lives at stake. It's completely inexcusable. No, no, absolutely, and and I agree with that. And and actually, just to the piece the other day on 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 the pivot as well. Um, I think that's uh, really important for us as emergency, as crisis leaders, right? Is that um, if, if anything, and this is a piece I'm working on right now, is the idea of um, emergency managers, crisis leaders. If we're not in charge, if we don't have the um, the title to be able to walk into the room and, and run the room, right? Um, that we should actually do our best to be that trusted advisor that the C-suite can lean on. And so, and they'll trust us to be able to run a crisis because the role of the emergency manager kind of flip-flops around a little bit. Do you think we're better as as the, as the crisis leaders? Are we better as being the trusted advisor or are we better at being the person who walks in the room and says, you know, I'm the new sheriff's in town, I'm running this place? I'd, I'd, I'd flip that around slightly because one of the things that's come out of a lot of surveys of uh, businesses and so forth, is that um, a lot of larger organizations or even smaller ones, they see the whole crisis management, emergency management side as something you have to do. You tick the box and you are prepared and it's all all right. So it's, and they, um, the people in these roles get terribly frustrated because they can't actually get the senior levels to listen to them and understand the true capabilities of what they're doing, what they're planning against and so on. And also sometimes emergency management then also gets lumped into cybersecurity or something that, you know, they are they are linked, but they're not the same thing at all. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's it's sort of making voices heard a little bit more and respecting what emerges. And I, I personally think after this pandemic, emergency managers are going to be taken a lot more seriously than they might have been previously. But but the danger is that it will just be for pandemic preparedness, not for the next big thing that's going to happen. And that's where, you know, there's now is a good moment to speak up and say, this is what we do. Do you now understand what we do? Take us seriously. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I and I agree 100%. I think, you know, I, you know, I have become over the last, I'd say probably six months, I've become uh, more of a student on marketing. And I think that's a, it's a, it's a, not just marketing on how do we market what it is we do, the services we provide, but uh, marketing myself as an individual, this is what I do. This is what I can help you with. This is, this is what I bring to the table when you're, when, and this is the, this is, these are the reasons why I should be uh, allowed in. And I tell you what, the, by doing that, by changing the, the, the way we do things, the way we market ourselves, that makes us more desirable to have people have us around. So when we come into the room, we don't need to be the guy in charge. We come in and they go, Dan's here now. Let's see what Dan has to say. And we give guidance, we give direction, we give support. And they then 
start taking action and, and uh, operations based on the guidance that we give and the support that we're providing, the coordination that comes from what it is that we do. So in with uh, everything that we we drive to do, not only in our prof profession, but in pushing the profession forward like your the journal does, um, is the marketing aspect of things and how we can be better marketers, not only of the profession, but of ourselves. And I think that your journal lets people from all over the world do that. Thank you. Well, I recently read a very interesting article on um, LinkedIn, and it was about um, being, I think Eric McNulty posted it um, from somewhere. It was about, you know, being a leader without the title. And I, I, I sat there furiously tapping away so many replies on it and then just deleted them all because I thought, now I'm going to shut up. Because how many people are focused on titles rather than actually projecting their own self-confidence, their leadership, their knowledge and experience? Because I, in my opinion, that will win over rather than having the title, except in companies where the, obviously the whole hierarchical structure could be such that people don't take notice of you. And I'd suggest that companies like that have got a far bigger problem than a little you know, crisis coming along then, if that's the way they're treating their staff. You know, before we came on, we were talking about sports and things like this. And, and that's a really great analogy when it comes to sports teams, because what you have is you have the locker room leaders. Those are people that aren't officially captains. They're, they're not the coaches, but yet they keep the, they, they're really that glue that keeps that team together um, because you, you know, you need to have those, those, um, you know, non-traditional non-logoed leaders that go in there and actually do the things and make the examples. I think that's what we're talking about here within any organization. We have those people, you know, um, in the military, uh, we, you know, we always had like the, you know, the Lieutenant who comes in and he's like Lieutenant, you know, and after we're done, the Lieutenant comes in and, and gives us the marching orders. We always look at our, our staff NCOs and say, is that really how we're going to do it? And then, you know, then the corporals at the end of the day come down and make sure that the line guys are actually doing it. You know, so, so leadership is, is really, uh, as, as a I hate to say it this way, but I, the way I believe it, it's really a team effort, right? Even though there's one person who says I'm the leader, it was really takes the entire team to lead that organization. Well, I think there's a difference too. I mean, the, the leader, I mean, that's the authority figure. You know what I mean? Just because someone's the, the the shot caller doesn't make them a leader. They People answer to them because they have title, they have position, they have authority, they have rank. That doesn't necessarily make them a leader. leader. And Simon Sinek is one of the best people that I've heard say it. Because they may have position and title, but they, they, they have authority. But you would not follow them if you didn't have to. There are people within the organization that you would follow without title because they are true leaders. So there's a difference, uh, at least in my mind, on what a leader leadership is and what authority is. And just because you have a title don't mean you need you need to be in the room when these decisions and these actions are being taken because you honestly, that's what we talk about all the time, right? The C-suite, do they really need to be there or should they be off to the side? And, and you, it, because they can interfere with the actions that need to be taken. So that's a, I mean, that could be a whole show right there of us talking <laughs> about authority versus leadership and what what really is the, uh, the difference in, how it's implemented because I can walk into a room as a director and say, this is what's going to happen. And you're going to do it this way because I am the director versus hey, this is what we do. What should, what do you think we should do? Do you think that's going to work if we do it this way? And you, in the encouragement, the inclusion uh, bring, will, will change the, the whole dynamics of the situation. We've done some stuff on that. Sorry to it. It's um, and it's also about having, you know, having, diversity of opinion and thinking within within an organization too so and people not being afraid to speak up having having creating that atmosphere where you know it might sound stupid 
initially, but it might be the best idea in the world, or it might be the most logical idea, and be, not be, creating an environment where people are not scared of putting their ideas forward, or or or, or and they don't become upset if that idea is then discussed and discarded. But you've got to be able to put forward those ideas. I'm going to make there's one comment. Lori says that it's a it's the difference between a boss and a, and a leader. And there's a book called Leaders Eat Last. It's a Simon Sinek book it's based upon a military idea that the higher the rank you are is when you when you get, you get your food last, right? And um, it's what we did the, with the, uh, the Navy Marine Corps team. It's the way it was. I don't know how it is in the other branches, but leaders do eat last. And there's the other thing, too, is like I'd like to stress is the idea that leaders should speak last, right? If you're in the room, you should hear everybody else because if you speak first, you're going to influence Everybody else and people that had good ideas are going to not say anything because they don't want to go against you. You should you should allow the junior person to speak first and you should speak last. That's the way it should happen in in, in the meeting rooms uh, that we do. Hey, I, I want to get into, I want to get okay. Go ahead, Dan. I was just going to say I think a, a good differentiation between what, what it is as emergency manager versus other organizations is that we work well with other organizations because we walk into to organizations or uh, areas where we are working with within someone else's domain. So it's not like we're walking in, but we so we have to learn how to influence uh, people from all different different professions: fire, PD, EMS, military, state level, local level, uh, federal level. Because we so we're coming into the room working with all these different individuals. We're not necessarily the authority in the room on how to making the decisions. We're there to influence and lead and and help them, support them. So it's a difference between what an emergency manager is versus someone who comes in in authority. And they may be a part of that organization. We may not be as an emergency manager. We may be coming in to support them. Right. Let's talk about the CRJ here for a second, because I think that's the important thing here today. And there's some cool articles that are in this month's um, or this I keep saying quarter. month. Quarter. Quarter. Yeah. yeah. I keep saying month, but I'm in quarter. I wish um, it were monthly. <laughs> so I, I think a couple of them that are really kind of catching my eye here is is uh what is nature's worth? Because that's a really good conversation that we have, especially with Australia's fires, um, to see that some of the devastation happened to the animals through that and and do we really value that? Um, because you know, there's a there's a movement out there saying it's not a disaster unless it's a human in, involved, right? Um, but is that true? You know, I think that 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 article goes into that uh, again. Back into nature-based solutions. You know, um, I love this one here. It's I, I don't know who the authors are because I don't have it up right now. But the organizational cross training, I think, was a, was a great piece as well. Robert Fagan. Right Robert Fagan. Okay, C-Suites in Crisis, Eric McNulty. Um, the real uh, the real risk of reputation because, again, our reputation goes forward, and if, we, if we're if we not good. Uh, crisis management is people management. I highly recommend that one. And there's one here that I'm picking up right now. I haven't uh, read this yet, so I have to be uh, truly honest about it. And it goes into the dynamic disasters in society, and I, think, I haven't read the article yet. I guess it's going to be great, uh, but that's one I'm really looking forward to reading. But there's some other articles in there as well. Great, great, uh, great addition, by the way. I just want to let you Thank know. Thank you. Thanks very much. Well, it's funny because we're now working on the next one. And I'm one of those, I, you know what? I didn't realize it in myself, but every edition, I sit there going, well, how are we going to improve on that? And so once an edition's gone, I'm like, oh, I just don't know how we're going to do it. And the next edition is going to be even better. That's all I can say. And that's, that's from the heart. <laughs> all right. 
Well, everybody, we got to get going. Um, we are uh, we're, we're running uh, over because of some of the difficulties, but that's we wanted to make sure that we had given Emily her entire shot at this. Emily, thank you so much for spending the day with us. Thank you so much. It's been a great chat, actually. I've really enjoyed it. Appreciate right. it. Absolutely. Oh, one last question, I forget, is how can we find you? www.crisis-response.com. Absolutely. And all those, and that's going to be in the show notes as well. If you're driving down the road and your pencil is not sharp, please feel free to go to the show notes and click on that link because, and like I told everybody at the beginning, I, I, this is not free. I pay my dues because I really want to support the, the, the magazine. Um, and, and I think it's great. Uh, and I was a, a, a supporter first before I asked Emily to come on the show. And I really, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting my full endorsement behind uh, this, the journal. So thank you. All right, everybody, thank you again for spending time with us this morning. And even through the difficulties that we have, this is the emergency management, so we kind of have to roll through it. And I just want everybody, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, Crisis um, Cafe. Uh, what else, Dan? What am I missing? Uh, don't forget to go in and, and comment and give us a rating uh, in in these uh, apps as well. We'd love, to, we'd love to hear from you. All right, everybody, until next time, stay safe and stay hydrated. <laughs>